We're going to continue with our worship this morning, and we have a guest speaker today, and I'm excited to get to announce her. Someone that brings a lot of joy in my life is my friend Maddie Manier. Uh, so she's going to come up. Maddie is a church planting resident at Hopeville, Baltimore, which is a church that we helped get started on the north side of the city. Uh, like I said, Maddie is someone who just exudes joy in all things, um, good or bad. She tends to find the good and positive and, and loves that. So no better person than to talk about joy today. So everyone meet Maddie. Um, yeah, we'll continue with our worship. Thank you so much, Lindsay. You are so cool and so sweet. Um, hello, everybody. How are we doing this morning? Good. Okay. That felt like the middle section's doing real well. Everybody else is still working on it. That's okay. That's okay. Um, yeah, as Lindsay said, my name is Maddie. Um, and I don't know, actually, most of you probably don't know this. I actually used to be an intern here. Um, during 2020, and they like to refer to me as your secret intern because nobody knew that I existed. But I'm really excited to be with you all today. As Lindsay said, I um, currently work at Hopeville, which is just up in the Waverly area, um, and it's been a blast. I'm doing a church planting residency there. Um, but while I'm here today, I am so excited to be with you. I think a little bit more excited than I might have been otherwise because I heard that your Christmas, I guess, this Christmas series that you're doing is based around like Hallmark movies, kind of, just a little bit. And I love Hallmark movies, okay? I have like a deep love for Hallmark. Yes, I see someone else in the back who also loves Hallmark movies. They are just so good. And I don't watch, okay, I don't watch them every year because they are, they're just everywhere. And sometimes I do need a little bit of a break. But every time I watch them, they bring me such happiness, okay? My roommate, um, I live just over in Canton, my roommate always makes fun of me because, this is a little side story, I am someone who, if I'm ever watching, like, I'm watching a TV show, I'm watching a movie, whatever I'm watching, as I'm watching it, I'm at the same time, I've got my phone out, and I'm like researching every character on the screen, and I'm like, oh, did you know that they dated in real life? And like, <laughs> did you, oh, that's a fun, I'm always on like IMDB, whatever it's called, like trying to look up stuff. Um, and while I do that, I also kind of figure out what happens in the movie because I'm actively looking up information. Um, and I'm someone who gets really invested with the characters, so I feel like I want to know what happens, and I want to be prepared if something bad happens, so it's kind of good. Like, my roommate always makes fun of me for that, but my favorite thing about Hallmark movies is I never have to do that, because I know how it's going to end within the first two minutes of the movie. It's amazing. I love it. Um, and honestly, another reason that I love Hallmark movies is that they, I feel like every time, you know, you've seen a Hallmark movie, they all are the exact same thing. <laughs> It's amazing. And they tell a tale as old as time, okay? They tell a story about a person who's living their everyday life. It's like a corporate woman living her life. I don't need anyone else. I'm doing my own thing. But there's always something that's missing, whether the person knows it or not. This theme has stood true for nearly every Hallmark movie I've ever watched. <laughs> Um, and normally, the missing thing ends up being like a, like, a, like a country mechanic or something. You know what I mean? Like something super random on a farm. But just she always misses it in the bustle of life, whatever. 
But the main character ends up finding this thing that they didn't know that they needed or they didn't know that they were worthy of having. And honestly, that's just so relatable, isn't it? Uh, oftentimes, I think this is how we tend to feel about joy. We think joy is some far-off concept that we get after we finish our to-do list. Joy is making it to our next vacation. Joy is found once I get this thing done or once I find this relationship or once I get that job. Some of you may even be wondering to yourself when the last time you felt true joy was. But this exact thing, this joy, dare I say the greatest things about the birth of Jesus is that you don't have to wait until the next time you get that little jolt of joy. You don't have to wonder when you'll get to experience joy again because joy isn't just a feeling. Joy is a state of being. And I know this might seem like a lot, and honestly, if you're having trouble believing that joy can be more than just waiting for your next vacation, that's okay. But if you'll stick with me, I would love to get to show you one of the greatest gifts that we have ever been given from the Father, and that's the gift of joy. Before we do that, uh, please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for every person in this room. Thank you, Father, that we get to come here and grow closer to you, Lord. Um, I pray that you use me as a vessel, Father, and everything that I say and do, Lord, will be a reflection of you. Um, Father, if I say anything that is not from you, Lord, I pray that they just don't remember it, Lord. I pray that in all things you will be glorified today, Lord. I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to get to learn more about one of your greatest gifts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Now, before we get into this, I think we need to take a few minutes to talk about what joy isn't, because I think that the definition of joy can sometimes get a little misconstrued, we get a little bit confused. So uh, let's turn to the scriptures. Let's, let's see what joy isn't. First things first, joy is not found in one's possessions. All right, we're going to look in the Bible, and we're going to talk about one of uh, the antagonists in this I guess you can call it a Bible Hallmark movie, but it's nothing like that. Um, in our biblical Hallmark movie, this antagonist is Herod. Okay? That's a picture of Herod. I didn't have to hunt for this. This is like the second picture that came up when I looked him up, okay? <laughs> and when I say Herod, it is important for you to know that there are actually four Herods mentioned in the New Testament. The one that we're talking about today is the first one. That's just Herod the Great. Um, Herod the Great was the leader of the Jews during the birth of Jesus, and I'm going to let you know right now, okay? Much like antagonists in Hallmark movies, he is not a very likable character, okay? <laughs> One of the things that Herod was known for was these grandeur, like, building projects that he would do, and to clarify, we don't learn this from scripture, but we do learn this from a secondary source um, there's a historian named Josephus, and he's one of um, the great historians near the, you know, Middle East during this time. Um, and he tells us a lot about some of Herod's building projects, one of which um, was a rebuilding of the temple. So 
If you're someone who really likes history and you want to talk to me after about this temple, I would love to geek out about it because this is a very cool temple. Um, but all you have to know is that there was this great temple that Solomon built and then it got destroyed and then the Jews were sent into exile. But then the Jews got to come back and then when they came back, they built this first, this, I guess it would be a second temple at this point. They built the second temple, but when they built it, it was like, you know, they didn't have a lot of resources. It was kind of just a, you know, a temple. It was fine. It was, you know, whatever. And then Herod comes, and he's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing something special, okay? I'm going to build this thing up. It's going to be the coolest thing you've ever seen. But he doesn't really do it for the right reasons. Herod wants to show off his wealth, and he wants to make sure that his name is prominent throughout the kingdom. So he does build this temple, but he doesn't do it for the right reasons. He needed more. He needed to show, look at what I can do. Look at what I can do. Look at all, these, look at all this wealth that I had. And he needed more and more and more. Oftentimes, and especially in our current consumerist society, it can be so easy to fall into this trap of more. We need more, right? Buy this and you will finally be happy. Watch this and your marriage problems will completely resolve. Follow this account and all of your dreams will come true. Read this and you will finally be the person that you want to be. However, Research has proven time and time again that purchasing more and buying more will not bring you joy. There is a dopamine hit, and for those of you who don't know, dopamine is that kind of happy, happy drug in your brain. There is a dopamine hit every time you purchase something, which could be misconstrued as joy. But according to the research, an increased amount of dopamine will actually lead to a crash later on. And once you're in this crash, you're like, oh, man, I, I'm just so sad. I don't really know what to do. You, uh, you know what? I felt really happy when I bought that thing the other day. I think I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go buy some more stuff. I need more. I need more. That cycle can quickly turn into an addiction. And your brain, it tries to recreate that learned behavior, and every time it ends up with the same result. It ends up in that crash. Possessions, they're a quick fix, but they are certainly not joy. Second thing, joy does not come from a desperate need for power. All right, now let's return to everyone's favorite hallmark antagonist, Herod. Herod the Great was a glutton for power. In Matthew 2, we read about how deeply Herod's need power goes. Um, for a little backstory, we're about to read um, a verse in, in Matthew 2, a little backstory. Um, Herod heard that there was going to be a boy who's going to be born who's going to become king of the Jews. And remember, that's Herod's title, right? King of the Jews. So he sent some magi, and magi are just like priests. He sent some priests um, to check out this boy who's going to be born who was going to take away his power. And obviously, plot twist, that boy is Jesus. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Magi, they come to meet Jesus, and then they didn't end up going back to tell Herod. So let's read what Herod does 
uh, when he heard that the Magi aren't coming back and this boy is going to, you know, go and do his thing. Matthew 2, 16 says, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. I don't know about you. Seems like a bit of an overreaction. But to Herod, right, it didn't matter. His power was his identity. And his identity was about to be taken away from him. Having power and influence is not inherently bad. But when it's rooted in insecurity and it becomes your identity, it can create disordered priorities and lead to selfish motives and certainly not joy. And you know what? Maybe we aren't so power hungry as to perform mass genocide on children. I hope not. But I hope that I'm not alone when I say I have certainly done some embarrassing things for control. And I can confidently tell you that starvation, that hunger for power does not produce joy. Lastly, joy is not a private affair. Now we're going to return to this antagonist for one final time. Um, this time where we learn again from Josephus, who was that historian, um, that Herod the Great actually killed one of his own wives because she posed a threat to his rule. He couldn't let anyone in. He wouldn't let his own wife into his life because he was so afraid of losing that control. He's saying that she can be in the picture as long as she conforms to what I want. As long as she lets him be in control. In our current individualistic society, it can be so easy to think that joy is a private and personal reality, that we can have joy as long as I get what I need, and then I'll be happy. But if we look at our biblical ancestors, they could not help but speak about the joy of the Lord. Jesus, over and over again in the New Testament, says the kingdom has come near. That is joy. Psychologically, because we're doing, we're doing a little psychology lesson today, we also see a huge disadvantage in terms of this individualism. I was reading about the psychological effects of increased individualism, and I found uh, an article in a journal called The Australian Psychologist that says people from individualistic cultures tend to experience greater stress, have less social support, and have less uh, pro-social behavior. People, people from these cultures are not only less likely to help others, they are also less likely to ask for help when they need it. Friends, joy is not a private endeavor. It's meant to be shared. All right, and now I, I know what you're thinking. We've been spending the last 10 minutes discussing what joy isn't. So now you're kind of wondering, you know, what is it? You're going to tell us. And that's, I, yes, I promise I will. <laughs> when we think about what joy is, I think it might be beneficial to learn from someone who I would consider to be pretty much the exact opposite 
of Herod. Okay? Uh, so if you will, turn in your Bibles if you have Bibles with you. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to read from John 1. We're going to read John 1, 6 through 8, and then we're going to skip to 19 through 28. And it goes like this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had, sent, who, who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands the one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now you might be reading this and you might be thinking, okay, he does seem pretty different from Herod, but maybe not like he's you know, just a kind of a normal guy. Like he just seems like a normal guy. So let me show you another verse that maybe will solidify this complete opposition for you. Matthew 3, 4 says, we're told, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. John the Baptist, oh, we got a picture? John the Baptist, there he is, could genuinely not be more different <laughs> than Herod. Herod was building temples and executing people to show his dominance. This man emerged from the wilderness wearing camel's hair and eating bugs. But he is the man that the Lord chose to declare that Jesus was coming into the world. Why? I think it's because John knew something that Herod didn't. John knew that true joy doesn't come from possessions. It doesn't come from power. And that joy is not a private affair. No, John knew that true joy is found from following Jesus. That is the root of joy. That is the secret of not living off of that dopamine hit from your last purchase or trying to find happiness once you have complete control. Happiness is a, fleet, a fleeting feeling. Joy is a state of being. And we get to receive that joy, that new state of being in complete rest because of Jesus. And I know what you're thinking, Maddie, this is far too simple of an answer. Jesus, really? We're going to answer with Jesus? Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you know Jesus and you were baptized when you were little and you know Jesus is the guy who answers your prayers sometimes and maybe you know Jesus 
as the guy that you come visit on Sundays. But are you sure he's joy? Or maybe you're sitting here and you've been here twice, and you don't really know that much about God. But Jesus seems like a very, like far too simple of an answer. That cannot be true. Well, when we seek to learn more about that, let's return to John. John knew what Herod did not. John knew that he, and subsequently we, get to experience peace and love and joy because the one whose sandals we are unworthy to untie has come. And more than that, when he came, he ushered in a new covenant, a new promise. John is out there in the wilderness with his camel hair cloak and grasshopper snack saying, make way, make way. Because he knows what is coming is going to change everything. God has fixed humanity's biggest problems, sin and death. And side note, I feel like oftentimes sin, sin can kind of be a churchy word, right? Like what, what really is sin? Sin just means separation from God. So, I digress, but God, God fixed humanity's biggest problems, separation from him and death with Jesus. We get to have joy because God wanted desperately to be with his creation. We get to have joy because God sent his son down in the form of a little baby to live and die and rise again to bridge the gap between us and him. We get to have joy because we get a direct relationship with God. Now, I know we don't know each other very well, but I feel like over the past, you know, 20 minutes, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better. I feel like I can be kind of open with you guys about my own struggle with joy. Uh, there's a passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 that goes like this. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know, actually, if I'm allowed to say this, but for, <clears throat> excuse me, but for a while, these verses were some of the most aggravating couple of verses in the Bible for me. I have a different appreciation for them now, um, but for a bit, I truly, I just didn't understand them. These verses can be uh, found at the end of 1 Thessalonians, which means Paul didn't want to finish writing his letter until he made sure he wrote these words. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Rejoice always. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some times where I really do not want to rejoice. Possibly in a more real sense. There are some times where I just don't know if I physically can. I went through a pretty rough mental state when I was in college. And I remember um, I was underneath of my bed because that was kind of my safe space. I was underneath of my bed and I was just asking God, like, God, what are you doing? 
How do I praise right now? There are plenty of other examples, too. I grew up in a relatively turbulent household around a lot of fighting. And I remember hiding under tables, wishing for it to stop. I've seen bullying and racism and sexism and stealing and lying and pain. I don't want to rejoice. When I see people who are experiencing homelessness being rejected, when I see people who are experiencing addiction being rejected, when I see friends rejecting friends, I don't know if I know how to rejoice. I've so often seen Christians hear this call to joyfulness and push their convictions down in order to uphold what they thought was a biblical expectation for happiness. I can't be upset. I'm a follower of Christ. I can't be upset. I have to be happy, even though my depression is crushing me. I can't, I can't be upset. I have to be happy. I have to present myself as happy, even though my anxiety is making it feel like I can't breathe. I can't, I can't be upset. I have to be happy, even though my obsessive thoughts keep spiraling and spiraling and spiraling, and I don't know how to get them to stop. Friends, if you feel like this, I have two things to tell you. One, it's okay. It's okay that you feel things. God doesn't want you to shove your feelings down or present a false self. It's natural to feel angry. You deserve to feel your feelings. God gave them to you. They're not something to fight. They're a gift. And secondly, if you're feeling this way, you do not have to carry it alone. You do not have to fake happiness, but you can live in joy. The God that we serve knows your pain. He knows your suffering. And he wants to be there in it with you. He does not want you to wait to get your things together to come to him. He just wants you. And it is because of that second point that we get to live in joy. Joy, my friends, is not happiness. Happiness, as we've discussed, is a feeling, a moment. Joy is so much more. Joy is richer and sweeter. Joy is a posture. Joy is saying, I'm angry and I'm frustrated, and I'm hurt, and I am broken, and at the same time, I am loved. We get to have joy because of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, sacrificed himself for us so that we will get to experience a time of no more pain, and no more anger, and no more sorrow. Yes, we're angry, Yes, we're upset. Yes, we're sad. And yes, we are, have a joyful hope in the reality that our God has rescued his creation. 
Make straight the way for the Lord who has rescued us. And now, friends, it is our turn to call into the wilderness, or more appropriately, into the streets of Baltimore. Declare that we are making straight the way for the Lord because you have been given the greatest gift of all time. You have been given the gift of Jesus. So as we leave this place, please do not keep this joy to yourselves. Shout it from the rooftops. Make straight the way for the Lord. It is because of him that we get to have joy. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you now as broken people, as angry people, as scared people. And we thank you that you are here with us in our brokenness, in our anger, and in our fear. Father, thank you that we get to have joy. Thank you for sending your son to be born. Thank you for every person in this room, Lord. I pray that as we go from this place, Father, we will experience your joy. And we will not be able to help but speak your joy and shout your joy from the rooftops. In Jesus' name.